0: Congregation, this evening in your Bible, we would ask for your attention to be directed to Micah chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. In your Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1071. Micah 2, we read the oracle or the prophetical statement uh, that we find in chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, continuing through verse 11. As we turn there, we are reminded that this is the inspired word of God that is to be authoritative for our doctrine and our life. We read as follows. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. So they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult, you who are named the house of Jacob. Is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these His doings? Do not My words do good to him who walks uprightly? Lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by, like men returned from war. The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children you have taken away my glory forever. Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled, it shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction." If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of this people. Thus far then, for this evening, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I would ask you to reflect how you would answer the following questions. Is He a good creature? Was that a good sermon? How you evaluate your answer in response to those questions tells much about your understanding or lack thereof of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you begin to evaluate the question, is He a good preacher, by perhaps His ability or inability to communicate effectively. Or something in His personality. Perhaps some charismatic gift that speaker employs. While all of those things may indeed be beneficial to the communication of the gospel message, they are not at the very essence of the answer. Is he a good preacher? A good sermon, you might say, well, there is a logical coherence within the material being presented. And it has a biblical text upon which it is based. But And those things are certainly good and proper to have, but that in and of itself, just because the material being presented has a certain logical coherence does not make it a good sermon. And I trust and I hope that all of us, when we are confronted with those questions, whether they are explicitly asked or whether they are implicitly asked, I hope that our answer would be formulated based upon how faithful the preacher and the sermon is to the Word of God. Because what was happening in the days of Micah is what has happened all throughout the life of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues to happen in our own contemporary times. There are individuals who prattle. This word that is used by the New King James translation means those individuals who come and and who speak silly things. Who speak silly things, but wrap them up in a presentation package and so that people go ooh and ah as they speak these silly things. But there are also sad circumstances in which men come in faithfulness and and seek to do nothing more than to open up and to expound the Scriptures. And as they explain the doctrines of God and of Jesus Christ, and as they set before Human beings, the realities of sin and of coming judgment and of the one way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as these basic doctrines of calling men, women, and children to repentance and faith are proclaimed, individuals also say, now here is prattling. Here is absolute nonsense. And you can find that that's exactly what the apostles encountered as they made their way through the book of Acts, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from one synagogue to another synagogue and from one city to one city. You can think of the response if you want to just take, for example, that Paul was met with when he proclaimed the gospel there at Mars Hill. Some laughed and said, who is this individual and what is this that he's speaking of? Others took note with a passing interest. But for the most part, individuals went their own way. In congregation, that is always the response and the danger. That on the one hand, true and faithful gospel preaching would be met with mockery and ridicule, and on the other hand, complete nonsense would be appreciated and congregated by individual persons. And so we want to turn our attention to the section of Scripture before us with this theme, the Lord evicts His people for transgression. And as we make our way through, you'll hopefully notice how this ties into our opening introduction. The Lord evicts His people for transgression. Very briefly, with somewhat of review, we'll look first of all at the reason for the eviction. And then secondly, the contrast concerning the eviction. And then thirdly, the warning from the eviction. You might say that in... Micah 2, verse 6-11, the Lord comes uh, as the landowner of the promised land and He issues His covenantal people, Israel, an eviction notice, saying, you will be moved out. You will be moved out of the promised land. And we'll notice the reason and the contrast and the warning uh, that is uh, associated with this eviction notice. The eviction notice is that the Lord God and His sovereignty will be using foreign armies the Assyrians and the Babylonians to transpose Israel from outside of the promised land into uh, the captivity. And this land, of course, was highly symbolic as it represented this rest, this rest from slavery, this rest from oppression that had come about by God's miraculous redemptive work. Uh, Now notice that The reasons for this eviction are very clear. First of all, social injustice, and then secondly, covenantal violation. These are not two separate reasons, but these are one reason looked upon, you might say, from two different angles. The covenant people of God were going to be evicted or cast out from the promised land of rest, and therefore they would lose their experience of rest because of Social injustice, and not just in some type of vague term that is so common in our day to just simply say any a disparency within social realms is social injustice. No, this was a very specific form of social injustice that was taking place within the land of Israel. Verses 8 and 9 of our text identify that this is the reason. Lately, the Lord says, my people have risen up as an enemy. Now notice what they do. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by like men return from war. So there was this exploiting of one another. Spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters were taking advantage of one another by seizing one another's material possessions through all sorts of plots and all sorts of tricks. Like men would plunder an enemy in a time of war. Verse 9 also, the women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses, displacing one another within the covenant community. In the Old Testament, that, of course, prefigured the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from their children, you have taken away my glory forever. So take careful note, this is not just some vague, undefined type of a social injustice, but rather this is a disunity within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, lately, these things have been going on. And because there is unrest within the promised land, the covenant people of God will be thrown out of the land. Because as the Lord stipulates elsewhere, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, the law of Moses, the covenantal law, had all sorts of stipulations for how this experience of rest and how this experience of peace and this unity was to be preserved within the covenant community. And at times what is so distressing is that within the Christian church, which is to be a haven of rest, especially for weary and troubled souls, We find that there is unrest because one brother plots against another brother or one sister plots against another sister. Now, not literally. I don't believe anyone's going to be stealing the coats off the coat rack during the evening service or stealing suit coat jackets off of individuals as we walk up and down the aisles. But figuratively speaking, the robbing of this unrest by the harboring of grudges, by bitter words, by enmity that is allowed to fester within the soul, by one person speaking ill of another person without cause. These are the contemporary ways in which one man plunders his fellow man. And I firmly believe that this brings shame upon our Lord God. And that's why the Lord says to Israel, if you're going to live this way, you're going to be evicted from out of the promised land. Because one way or another, the land will have rest. Just reflect for a moment. Would the church be at more peace if you and I were removed from it? If the answer is yes, that's the most troublesome answer. But that's what was true in the days of Micah. The Lord says, the land will be at rest when my people are out of it. Because of their social injustice, that was a covenant violation. A few passages that I want to reference you to this evening The first is that of Exodus 22. The second one we'll come to in our third point. In Exodus 22, verse 22 through 27, you see that the Lord was very clear that there were certain covenantal obligations. Now, there are covenantal promises, and there are also covenantal obligations. Because Israel were the covenant people of God, they were to live in a certain way. In verse 22 of Exodus 22, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to Me, I will surely hear their cry. Now notice what God is saying. In the covenant community, in Israel, you shall not afflict the widow or the fatherless child. And if you do, and if they cry out, God says, because He is a God of grace and compassion, I will hear their cry. And My wrath will become hot. That will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Notice the sharp vengeance, but also the ironic punishment. If you oppress the widow, your wife will become a widow. If you oppress the fatherless, your children will be the fatherless ones. Uh, there is, of course, this irony, but also this vengeance that the Lord has. He continues in verse 25, If you lend money to any of My people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to Him before the sun goes down, for that is His only covering. It is His garment for His skin. What will He sleep in? And it will be that when He cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. The application we want to make as we transition into our second point is just merely this. You and I must be very, very, very careful how we live within the covenant community. We must be very careful to observe that we maintain justice in how we deal and how we interact with one another, especially within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the well-being of our fellow covenantal member. That all that we say and all that we do is designed to protect His name, to protect her reputation. Uh, That we would not, figuratively speaking, plunder our fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we plunder our fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, it insults God. And now I often use this analogy and I use it again tonight. I speak to the fathers within the congregation. How much do you appreciate coming home perhaps at the end of a long, hard work day and sitting there at the dinner table and the meal is set and everything is just right But then the children begin to bicker one with another. And the father sits at the head of the table and does he ever sit back and go, oh, this is nice. This is why I labor during the day. This is why I come home tired and exhausted with all the fatigue of my sweat of my brow so that I can listen to my children bicker and argue one with another. Of course not. The Father says, enough. And at times, the Heavenly Father looks upon His church and sadly sees and hears and observes such interaction. And in one way or another, He says, enough. I simply ask the question for your further reflection as we look upon the state of the church in the United States of America and in the Western world we cannot ignore the fact that the churches, by and large, are emptying. Now, of course, we know that Christ will build His church, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But you could drive across the landscape of the United States of America and see church building after church building after church building that is either being emptied or is empty. Is part of the reason. Because the Father said enough. Enough of the infighting. Enough of the bickering. Because you plunder one another, the land will have rest. This is the reason for the eviction. But now, of course, you might say these are not popular words to speak. Well, that brings us into our second point, which is the contrast concerning the eviction. And the contrast, as if you're following along in the outline, the contrast is between a biblical prophet and a biblical prophecy and a popular prophet and a popular prophecy. And I don't mean by this contrast to intend that a faithful gospel minister should seek to be unpopular. Uh, We must strive to be winsome in our presentation of the gospel, but what I mean by that is the biblical prophet should not and could not adjust the message that he had received from the Lord in order to gain popularity. Micah did not have the liberty to take the Word that he had received from God and to change it and to tweak it and to adjust it to make it more palatable to those who would hear it. So there is this contrast. The biblical prophet and the biblical prophecy has as a duty to simply speak the Word of the Lord to the people of the Lord in a pure and unadulterated, unadulterated way, adding nothing to it, but also taking nothing away from it. And you see, that is the, the obstacle, you might say, or the burden that lies upon the man who is appointed to preach the Gospel, to expound the Scriptures. When we come to a passage such as Micah 2, verse 6-11, through 11, I do not have the liberty, and I trust that the office bearers, especially the elders of this congregation, would also recognize He does not have the liberty to adjust those verses. Just kind of ignore those verses. Or to put His own spin on those verses. Now boys and girls, I often think of the, the story, maybe you've heard the story, A song, I think. I won't sing it for you. But when I was a kid, we had this song about going on a bear hunt. And I forget exactly how it went, but you went on a bear hunt and you kind of like tapped your hands on your knees and things like that. But you came to, I think, first a river. And the song went, well, we can't go around it. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And that's the way it is with faithful expository preaching. Micah 2, verse 6-11 through is in providentially our path. That oracle came to Micah. Micah received this oracle from the Lord God. And he could have reasoned within himself. And he could have said, well, this isn't going to go over really well. Especially through those who are rich and to those who are influential within the covenant community. To those who are doing the oppressing. There might be some ears that tingle when they hear these words. But Micah was a prophet, and so he was bound to the Word of God. He couldn't go around it. He couldn't go over it. He couldn't go under it. He had to go through it. And so we do also. Not that we pick such texts as these to pick on individual persons, but simply this is in God's providence the text that sets before us tonight. And it speaks directly to the heart of every single one of us. So we have to go through it. That is the biblical responsibility. Because the message of the Word of God certainly is one of grace and one of mercy. But there's also in a balanced type of a way the proclamation of judgment. At times of severe judgment. And in order to highlight The wonder of grace and the wonder of mercy. And in order to highlight our need for a mediator, in order to recognize our desperate need for a God who forgives. And remember, that is how Micah ends. That's his last prophetic oracle. He gets the opportunity to walk through the streets of Israel and of Judah and say, who is a God like unto you who forgives iniquity? In order for that to be seen in something of its brilliancy, there must also be the recognition that God is a God of wrath. Dare we even say that word? We have to say that word because that is part of who God is. God is not mock. God is a God who is stirred to righteous indignation even within the external covenant community as was made so plain in Exodus 22. If you oppress, especially individuals in the covenant community, the widow and the fatherless, God is stirred to a righteous anger. And so the prophetic ministry of the preaching of the Gospel must be holistic and balanced in its presentation of God of his work and of his words, in contrast to the biblical duty to simply take and to explain and to expound and to apply the Word of God as it comes to us, in contrast to that, there is the popular prophet and the popular prophecy. Micah was not the only preacher in town, you might say. There were many, many other persons parading themselves around, calling themselves prophets, speaking messages to the people. However, their main concern was to please the people. False prophets are people pleasers. True prophets seek to be God pleasers. At the end of the day, and again, We say this directly. We say this humbly. We say this in love. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you and I think about a particular preacher or a particular sermon, but rather, what does God think of the sermon? Would God set His divine stamp of approval? Yes, that is a faithful exposition of the Word of God, faithfully applied to the people of God. Or was that minister trying to please people? Because that's the characteristic of the false prophet. And usually the false prophet goes around proclaiming his self-designed message in such a way that the audience will hear him and grant him some selfish form of prosperity. And you'll notice that this is what Micah points out in verse 11 of our text, Micah chapter 2. Now, verse 11, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler of this people. So what this false prophet does, it says, hey, you want a guy to tell you that everything is good? You want a guy to give you all types of promises that the wine will never cease to flow, O Israel, in your economic success, and the drink will be good and it will be plentiful. There are men lined up who are eager for the opportunity to have a venue such as this. Give me an elevated box. Give me an amplified voice. Gather people around and I will tell them how great they are and how great they can become and how good everything will always be. You find these ministers a dime a dozen. And you find their works, their books, their videos, their their talks all around, nearly ubiquitous in our Internet age. But Micah comes with this blunt word. That person is the prattler of this people. That person is the one uh, just seeking to entertain uh, with empty superficial words. And that's the contrast. The faithful prophet Micah comes with the Word of God as it identifies serious sin within the covenant community, and as it points out the result for that serious sin, exile. And then there are the popular prophets who come and say everything's great and everything's going to get even greater. Just congratulate yourselves. Just be comfortable with yourselves. These are the false prophets who cry out, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These are the persons who say, sure, go ahead and oppress one another. Sure, Go ahead and destroy one another. It's all good. The wine will be plentiful. In fact, pour yourselves some wine and devour each other. This is the message of the false prophet. Now you might say, well, this is identified with the prosperity gospel, and it certainly is identified with the prosperity gospel. But the prosperity gospel also creeps into the Reformed churches as it contradicts the clear denunciations that come from the Word of God in the text before us. The false prophet, the false minister, the false office bearer soothes people to sleep on spiritual presumption while they die spiritually. I was reflecting upon uh, this, this passage and I promise not to use too many illustrations or analogies uh, of myself and of the experience that we had this summer uh, with some of the medical situations. But on that morning, after I had a massive seizure, when I went to the hospital, it would have been nicer to experience temporarily if a medical professional would have said, everything looks great. Everything's fine. We've just given you an IV to take care of your symptoms. now." go home, and have a wonderful Saturday. That would have been easier to swallow, figuratively speaking, at 4 o'clock on a Saturday morning. But what would you think of such a doctor? Oh, you'd probably sue him for malpractice. And you'd probably win. It wasn't easy to hear you have a tumor in your brain that needs to be surgically removed. But ultimately, which one was more beneficial? Because having heard the correct diagnosis, there could then be the pursuit of the proper treatment, which also was not the easiest to undergo. And the same thing happens with the Word of God. The Word of God is a surgical knife. Cutting even into the depths of our hearts. Identifying sin. And then removing that sin by the admonishments and the exhortations and even the threatenings. And so when the Word of God comes with these sharp arrows of condemning sin, it does so for a pastoral purpose. That that sin, that cancer, that tumor might be removed from our soul before it does any further damage. And that we might then be restored to a right relationship with our God and with our fellow man. And it's not always the easiest thing to hear and it's not only the easiest thing to undergo, but it is the most profitable thing. We know that the Word of God is profitable. It's profitable for instruction and for teaching, but also for correction and even admonishment or reproof, or rebuke. Yes, we certainly grow when people say we are doing things well. But if we are mature enough to receive it, we also grow when people say you are not doing that well. You need to be corrected and to admonish and reproved. And that is what preaching, and that is what the Word of God often does. And so there is this contrast. The false prophets are walking around in Israel saying everything's fine. Everything's fine. Micah's saying not everything is fine. There is injustice within the camp of Israel. And that's why there is this eviction notice. And that brings us into our third point, the warning from the eviction. Uh, Two warnings that we can take away. First of all is the warning concerning sinful transgressions. And then secondly, the warning concerning itching ears. As we look upon this passage, Micah 2, verse 6-11, through it speaks to us as a church community and it speaks to us as individual Christians, and it warns us concerning sinful transgressions. Transgressions, again, by way of reminder, are those sinful acts in which a person blatantly rejects the commands of the covenantal Lord God. And says, I know that's what you say that I am to do, but I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go my own path. And there is this connection that individuals who are committed to going their own way in life, contrary to the commands of the Lord, often find themselves gathering false prophets to encourage them as they go along that false way. Because if a person in the days of Israel, in the days of Micah, if a person was... Blatantly committed to transgressing God's law and seizing his fellow man's garment or house, he wasn't going to submit himself to Micah's preaching. We naturally do this. We naturally congregate around people who tell us what we want to hear, who share our perspective, who share our outlooks on life. It might be a, a practical thing, and it might be, you know, that Uh, The farmers who are green in their blood, they gather together with like-minded farmers and they congratulate themselves on how great John Deere is. And those who are red in their blood, they gather around with the international individuals and they say, well, obviously international is the brand of equipment. And that's just a superficial, perhaps silly little illustration, but we all do this. And that's fine. In many areas, but it's not fine when it comes to our spiritual life. So if we ever find ourselves appealing to a certain teacher, minister, preacher, because that individual will not confront us with an immoral direction that we have set ourselves upon, we need to be warned. For an example... A person says, you know what? I'm going to fulfill my own dream. I'm going to live the authentic life. I'm going to disregard promises that I have made in my life in connection perhaps with my marriage. And I'm going to find a minister and a preacher who will affirm my decision. Well, be warned. You can find a prattler. You can find someone who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Like I said, ministers using that word loosely are a dime a dozen. But just be warned, God's Word abides forever. And all men are liars. So there is this warning concerning sinful transgressions. But also concerning itching ears, and this of course ties in, and here we reference you to one other passage this evening, that is of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul, in his last word, you might say, to his young, uh, follower, Timothy, gives these instructions. 1st, 2 Timothy rather, 4 verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and notice there again, rebuke. We don't like rebuking sermons, but they're necessary. They're vitally necessary. So Paul says to Timothy, go on with the Gospel ministry, convincing, rebuking, exhorting with all long-suffering and teaching. Don't lose heart. Don't be temporarily passionate only then to cool off and to give up. For the time will come when they, that is the hearers, will not endure sound doctrine. But notice this, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now the Apostle Paul writes that some 2,000 years ago, the time has come. When many an individual and many a congregation of individuals, because they have itching ears, have heaped up for themselves prattlers. Tell us what we want to hear. Affirm us in our authenticity of our life choices. Be open. Be affirming to whatever course of direction we set ourselves upon. Don't ever confront us. Don't ever admonish us. Don't ever rebuke us. That's the attitude of itching ears. But that's a dangerous attitude. Because our heart is deceitful and deceptive. And if we follow our own devices, we walk to our own destruction. And if we try to silence the Word of God, we only hasten then our steps to destruction. And so we ought to be reminded by this text of the serious threat The serious threat of an itching ear syndrome. I don't like what that minister has to say. Very well. Only one question. Did what he had to say come forth from the clear teaching of the Word of God? If so, give heed to it. Because it's not just what Micah says, it's what the Lord God says. You know, it's easy to walk out and say, not sure what he was on about this evening. Something must have happened in the church. You know, in reflection. That's one of the benefits of coming to a new congregation. I don't know the history. I I don't know. What has happened in the past? Some things I do. Some of the public things I do. But the interpersonal relationships, I'm ignorant to them. I'm still trying to learn names. I'm still trying to pronounce names. So this isn't any type of, oh, he's got it out for this or that, or he's aware of this or that. If you hear these words and you think, oh, he must be talking about me and about my... Issue with him or her. I'm not. At least not directly. But perhaps the Word of God is. Perhaps Micah 2, verse 6 through 11, is coming to you tonight saying, You can find a prattler. You can find someone to affirm your life choices and to figuratively speak, rub your back as you walk down the path of transgression. But God will not be mocked. And so this text calls us to an attitude of repentance. An attitude of humbling ourselves before the Word of God. Seeking the grace of God. Seeking the mercy of God. And each and every one of us within our heart ought to leave with this attitude of humble repentance. Because there's not a single person here who hasn't in some way oppressed his fellow believer. Believer. There's not a single one of us here who has never gossiped or slandered or have an evil thought of a fellow Christian. And so as these words come to us, yes, there ought to be the recommitment that we will be a congregation that is based upon the authority of the Word of God, but also that we are a congregation in desperate need of the grace and the mercy of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Because when we are confronted with the reality of our transgressions, then it drives us to seek God in His grace and in His mercy who forgives transgressors of their transgressions. So when we hear the prophecy of Micah 2, verse 6-11, our response must be something of that of the publican in the temple when he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that difficult words have confronted us, but necessary words, necessary for our spiritual well being, for our spiritual health, perhaps even for the bringing about of a spirit of repentance. Uh, Lord, we ask that as these words have gone forth, that they might bear fruit, that we might be brought, if need be, by continued exercise to that godly sorrow that produces ultimately eternal life through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So we ask for your blessing to that end. For Jesus' sake, amen.